think about. You can turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 18. It is the week before Christmas, and what often happens, uh, well, I'll just talk about from my perspective, it's very hard as a preacher to tell you anything that you haven't already heard on Christmas because it's the same story. And so our task as preachers is oftentimes to try and make a story that you already know a new story. And so I could do one of two things. I could add some new details, uh, perhaps say, you know, add a few paragraphs of my own. Um, that would be heresy. And so we won't do that this morning. Or we can, um, probably a number of things we could do, uh, but, uh, but, or we can teach it the way that it's intended, and draw out more of that. So I want to encourage you to listen this morning. Um, we're uh, shooting to get done early, but that's probably not going to happen. I'll just be honest. And so uh, <laughs> Matthew 1, 18 through 25, let me read it for you here. It says, uh, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, a uh, couple things about this passage are uh, beginning at the top here. When you look at uh, the way that the birth of Jesus Christ took place, there's an incredibly awkward situation going on here. And the awkward situation, verse 18, says this, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, what's happening here is there's this thing called betrothal, and it's similar to being engaged. Now, it's kind of unclear. Some people have clear opinions on this. Others don't. But it's kind of unclear exactly what betrothal was. But what it meant was essentially engagement. What it also could have meant is that there were two people who were essentially in engaged and they were living together. This was the common custom. Even though the daughter was still under the father's uh, household or, or rule or his responsibility, she was uh, perhaps possibly could have been staying with the man. However, they were not to have... Uh, any kind of intimacy, i.e. sexual relations. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like the worst possible situation and a horrible idea to have to live with someone uh, of the opposite sex, not be able to actually consummate that relationship. But that's essentially what was going on. So imagine this new couple. They are not quite married yet, 
but maybe they're staying in the same house together, yet they're not allowed to have relations yet. And what happens is this. They're, you know, think about it this way. They're in a small apartment. And Mary comes back from a little three-month trip. She's gone to see Elizabeth, and she comes back from a three-month trip. And uh, Joseph is kind of going, uh, this gal's kind of got a little bit of a baby bump going on. And so he starts thinking to himself, um, this is no good. Like, I can't even touch this gal. And she has gone and hung out with some other dude and more than just hung out with him. But she has been intimate with someone else. But it says that he was a just man and he had made up his mind that he wasn't going to divorce her because this idea of betrothal was essentially marriage. In order to get out of betrothal, it wasn't just a matter of giving the ring back, but it was divorce. And so David decides in his mind, um, David, uh, Joseph decides in his mind that uh, he is going to divorce her. Imagine how awkward that situation would have been. You're in this tiny little place, and it's like, we both kind of know, like, you got something growing in your tummy. And uh, imagine Mary trying to describe what had happened because an angel had come to her as well and told her this. Imagine trying to explain that to Joseph. Joseph comes to her and says, um, Mary, I think you, we both know what's going on here. Like, you've, you know, you've cheated on me. And Mary says, that's actually not it. Crazy story. Let me tell you're never going to believe this. And she tells him the story, and he's like, you're right, I'm never going to believe that. Like, there's this angel, and he goes, I bet he was an angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bet he was an angel. And uh, she tries to tell this story, and he's not buying it. And so he decides, I'm, I'm going to let this gal go. And he decides that he's going to move on, but he's going to do it quietly because he's a good guy. He doesn't want to embarrass her. And so he starts thinking about this, and an angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, Joseph, son of David, and he, he knows Joseph. He knows Joseph because he knows his lineage. He knows where he comes from. There's something very specific about that. He knows this guy by name. He knows his history. An angel of the Lord God is essentially speaking through this angel. And he says, don't fear to take her as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is actually from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And then he says this. It's very important. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, that's important because of this. The role of the father, especially in biblical times, the role of the father was to name the child. The role of the father was to name the child. And so that was a very clear thing. And God essentially comes to Joseph and says, you don't get to name this child. You don't get to name this child. And he says, this is going to be his name. He says, he is going to be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And that has three significant parts to it. There is his name. There is his people. And then number three, there are or there is his purposes. 
So it's Jesus' name, Jesus' people, and Jesus' purpose is all wrapped up in this name, and it's very significant. Now, the name Jesus actually means that he is going to save. He, he is going to save. He is the Savior. And so that's part of what that means. But why does God come to Joseph and say, you cannot name the child? Well, Tim Keller says this. As I said before, there's two ways that you're going to get good sermons from me. Number one, from the Holy Spirit. Number two, uh, the Holy Spirit through Tim Keller. And then through me. And so Tim Keller, great author. Love what he has to say. But he says this. There's two things that are asserted in this statement. And that is that there, that there is a source that brings content. There's the source of the name, but then there's the content of the name. That's what's kind of flowing from here. Why does God say to Joseph, you can't name the child that's coming from your wife? And it's because of this. Source equals content. And what this means is this, is that naming a child equals authority. When you name something, you have authority over it. When I was a, a young guy, I was driving home uh, from a job site way out. I was in the middle of nowhere, and I saw this sign that said, free puppies. I have no idea, but uh, I kind of have a soft side to me sometimes. Every now and then you'll see that. And I thought, I, I should stop and get a puppy. I have no idea why. And I, and I see this, and they just look so cute, right, when you first get them. And he was so cute, put them in the truck with me, took them home. And, you know, and then I, I was like, what, what am I going to name this thing? And so I decided to name it. Because I have authority over this, this little dog now, I decided to name him appropriately Beefcake. And so I named him Beefcake. Now, uh, I was his authority. Now, never mind the fact that that dog never listened to a word I said and that he, you know, used the restroom all over my house, barked all the time, was a big pain, and, uh, but his name was Beefcake. I had authority over him. Adam, in the garden, in Genesis, was given the responsibility of naming the animals. Now, that's not because God just ran out of ideas. Like, he's been naming all kinds of things, and he's just like, I'm spent Adam, why don't you pick up the ball and just run with this? No, God gives Adam the responsibility to name the animals because he has the authority to rule over these uh, creation. And so he's naming the animals. And so naming equals authority. We name our children. We name our children, and what that means is essentially this. I am over this child, and so I have authority over this child. So what this means is this, that God is saying to Joseph, Joseph, you are not going to be this child's authority. You are not going to be the, the authority figure over Jesus, but rather I am going to be the authority figure and I am going to be the one who's going to name Jesus. Why is that? Because the source of naming equals content. The source of the name equals the content of the life of the person. We know this to be true in our lives. And that is that oftentimes we say, consider the source. We'll say, when somebody brings us information and we go, we think it's good or we think it's bad, when we think about their information, we say, ah, consider the source. And the reason is, is this, is because the source of that information dictates the type of information that you're getting. We oftentimes uh, say, you know, that person got mixed up with the wrong crowd. 
And the reason why we say that is because we, we think about how, who this person's been associated with, and then we say, that's the kind of behavior that is coming out of them because that's the source of their behavior. They are being sourced by this group of people, and so this is happening. Well, God says to Joseph, you can't name this child because of this, because there is a source content issue. The source of the name equals the content of the person, especially in biblical times when you look at all of the people whose names were changed from Abram to Abraham. Uh, You look at uh, at Peter. You look at uh, uh, Paul. All of them, their names were changed. And it was essentially saying this, that you are now going to be a different person. And name equals something in biblical times. And it means that there's something new, that there's something different that's going to be happening in their life. In Jesus' case, what took place was this, was that Jesus was going to be named from God from the very beginning. And so his source is what dictates his future. And so what we see from Jesus' life, what flows out of that is that Jesus has this intense drive. He has this intense purpose. And so Jesus is, is a driven per, uh, person, and he understands what he's doing, and he understands where he's going. And he sets his mind and his heart and his will towards obeying the Father, who's the source of his name. He sets his mind, his will, his emotions, everything towards obeying the Father and going towards his purpose. If you remember in John chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate, who was questioning him, says, So you are a king. And Jesus answers him, You say, I am a king. And then Jesus says something very important. He says, For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus has this intense drive. He has this intense purpose about him. And he cannot be swayed from what he is intending to do. How does this relate to us? Well, there's a lot of things that want to name you. And many of us walk through life and we say, who am I? Who am I? What am I? We're always trying to put labels on people, but we're also walking around looking for labels to put on ourselves. We say, who am I? Especially as a young adult, we say, who am I? What's my purpose in life? What am I supposed to be doing? Who am I? What, what is my purpose? And here's the thing, is that you can look through life and you can look through life and you can look through every area, every corner, every nook, every cranny, and you can find this special purpose. But ultimately, that special purpose ends up being the thing that names you. You can go to your work and you can say, will you tell me who I am? And by that we say, I, I want you to give me all of my value. I want you to dictate to me everything that I am. I want you to tell me exactly what I am. I want you to to dictate my personality. But then we'll go home and we'll, and we'll say this. We may or may not even put uh, pressure on the family to say, I want my family to define me. I'm a family man. That's oftentimes people who are uh, sometimes very, very, very conservative overemphasize their identity in their family. 
They come to a point where they say, my family defines me. Because I'm a Christian, that's what defines me. And so everything rises and falls. My value as a person rises and falls on my family. And what that means is that if things fall apart or if a child doesn't do exactly what I want, my value is lessened. I don't quite have the value that I thought that I did. And so therefore, I, uh, since I have been named by that source, my family or my work or my relationships or my hobbies or whatever it is, every time we look to something other than the true and the living God as the source what happens is this, the content of our life changes. And so what can happen in your life is this, that you can be somebody who's kind of a rudderless individual. You're kind of wandering around, you're kind of going, I just don't know where I belong. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? I don't really know where I land. I'm not sure really what's happening. And sometimes we feel like we're just kind of a chameleon in life. We're, we're one person at home, but we're one person when we're with our work, but then we're another person when we are with our, our friends. And it's because of this. The source of what names us is coming from all kinds of areas. As we come to our culture, as we come to our life, and we say, who am I? And our culture is glad to slap a label on you and say, this is who you are. Now, this can happen two ways. You can end up finding pride in that because you are valuable when you're at work. Or you can, you can find pride in that because you're valuable when you're at home. But it can also work in the other direction. Go from pride to self-loathing and you can end up saying, I have no value, I have no worth. And why is that? Because you've let something else name you that is not really intended to be the one that names you. Jesus source of his name comes from God. And that's why God steps in and says, Joseph, you don't get to name the Christ child. You don't get to name the Messiah because I will be the source that will drive the content in my son. And so that's what uh, is going on there. Number two, so the first thing we said was his name. The second thing we are going to talk about here are his people. If you remember what it says here, um, he says, Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I think there's really three questions. You know, why did Joseph not get to name the child? Well, it's because of the source content thing. The second thing is this, is that if you come to Christmas, this time of year, the idea behind Christmas and you misunderstand something, and you, and you say, I'm just going to celebrate this, and this is going to be uh, fantastic, then you're, you're, you're really just kind of missing something because it's, it's exclusive. It's somewhat exclusive because he says, Jesus saves his people from their sins. And so the next question is this, is like, who are his people? Who are his people? Who are these people that have this title of being his. Well, let me tell you this. This is what's irritating and frustrating about Christianity. I'll tell you what it is right now. Christianity is exclusive. It's exclusive. It's not all roads lead uh, to heaven or lead to God. It's, it's not in this idea that if I'm just a good person, then I can get to God. It, it's none of those things. There is a specific 
label that goes on these people. And it, they are his. They are his. It's not an inclusive statement. It's an exclusive statement. Now, why would we say that uh, we need an exclusive statement? Well, I'd say the same thing about a lot of things that we do. You know, when, when I'm flying and uh, let's say uh, all of a sudden the pilot has a heart attack and there's no co-pilot perhaps, um, the, the thing I'm going to do if I know about this, I'm going to turn around to everybody in the airplane and I'm going to say, is there anybody who can fly a plane in here? And you might say, well, why do you got to be so exclusive? <laughs> There's a right and a wrong way to do this, right? I mean, I want to get on the ground safely. Well, here's the thing. You make exclusive judgments all the time. Our life works through exclusivity. And if you say, well, I really want a religion that's more inclusive, but here's the problem, is that that inclusivity may not land the plane. In fact, I'll tell you, when it comes to eternal matters, inclusivity will not land the plane. It's only through exclusivity because it says, for he will save his people from their sins. So who are his people? Well, it's simply this. Who are those people that are under his authority? Who are those people that are under his authority? Well, it's somewhat easy to see this because what you can see is this, is that source equals content. And so that means that when I come to my life, if I'm coming to culture and saying, would you tell me who I am? What that means is that you are now my authority, my culture, or my job, or my uh, family, my relationships. You are my authority. And so I'm looking to my uh, authority, which is now my culture, and I'm saying, would you please define me? But somebody who is a part of what we'd say are his people, these are people who willingly allow themselves to be named by him. That my name gets changed. Maybe not literally, but, but spiritually speaking. I'm no longer named by some other source. I'm no longer named, I'm no longer defined by these other things. These things do not hold power over me because my source comes from something else. My source comes from God himself. He's the one that is naming me. It says this in Ephesians 2, 18 through 19. It says, for through him, this is through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It's through Jesus that God becomes our Father. Father is a name. It's a familial name. We're no longer just disassociated aliens and strangers, but now he is our father. So then he says in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Who are these people who are his? They are people who have willingly placed themselves under the authority of God himself. And they've said this, you are the one who will name me. You are the one who will define who I am and you will be the one who will be the source in my life. Last point, his purpose. First, his name, his people. Third, his purpose. It's all wrapped up here, his purpose. For he will save his people from their sins. And this is what his people know. If I'm under his authority, then what he says is true. So what has he said that is true? 
What's he saying about me? Look at it a little bit different way. If during Christmas time, all that Christmas is to you is a manger, if it's limited to a manger scene, a nativity scene, if that's the focus, the myopic focus of your life where you say, uh, you know, Christmas is about a baby who was born, here's the problem with that. You're missing the point. There have been millions upon millions upon millions of babies that have been born in this world. Why this one? Why would you and I and much of the world celebrate this baby on this day? Why would we celebrate this baby on this day? It doesn't really make sense that we would celebrate a baby. Well, here's, here's the thing. If Christmas, if all Christmas is to you is a manger, then you've missed the point. You've missed the point completely because there's so much more to who Jesus is than just being defined by a manger. He wasn't just a great movement leader that happens to have his own holiday and the calendar itself has been split in half, you know, B.C., A.D., because of the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's so much significance that's wrapped up in this baby. Why this one and not every other one? Why not you? Why not you? Why not me? Let's, cel let's celebrate uh, Matt's birthday, okay? September 12th, it's a new holiday. I'm starting it this coming year. Prepare yourselves. We're going to have uh, special shopping days, Black Friday before it. It's going to be fantastic. In fact, I'm going to call it Purple Friday, all right? It's, it's going to be a fantastic... Why wouldn't we... Why can't we just change that? And it's because of this. There's so much more than just a manger. There's so much more than just a manger. Why is this baby different? Because there's one more exclusive claim that he has. There's one more exclusive claim that he has. And the exclusive claim is this. He's the only one who can take away sins. He's the only one who can take away sins. I don't know if you remember that story about the paralytic. The one who couldn't get into the party and so they cut the, the hole in the roof. It's a fantastic story because when you think about it, Jesus is sitting there teaching and then some guys are like, we really got to get this guy who's crippled into this meeting. And so they pull out a saw or something. They cut a hole in the roof. I mean, like very like nonchalantly, do, 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 you know, sawdust falling in the room, you know, getting in people's eyes. Jesus is sitting there going, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I'm having a hard time when a baby cries. I mean, I don't know about somebody cutting a hole in the roof and then Jesus sees this guy and he ends up saying, your sins are forgiven. And people are like, what is the, how can this guy say that his sins are forgiven? And then Jesus says, well, which is harder to say that or to say, get up. And he says, just so you know that I can do the former, how about this? Get up. And the guy gets up. Jesus has this power to forgive sins. So here's the thing. When you look at the manger and all you see is the manger, the thing that you're missing is the manger is looking forward to the cross. The manger without the cross is really nothing because he's just another baby. But the manger with the cross of Jesus Christ means everything. The reason why we're all celebrating the birth of this child is because what he says is true. And that is that he forgives sins. 
And God names him and says, you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What's this mean? He's not just a baby, but he's God in the flesh. It says, God with us, Emmanuel. He's God with us, and more than just being God with us, he saves us from our sins because the manger is pointing towards the cross. See, the real meaning of Christmas is not just that we're celebrating a baby. The real meaning of Christmas is that there's a manger that points to a cross, that points to something exclusive. And if you receive it, it means everything. It means this, that I'm no longer named by my culture. The source of my life is no longer found in the people around me, but the source of my life is found in the one. What's this do for you? It, it, it does this. It gives you ballast in life. You don't have to be so uh, swayed here and there by, oh, what's happening with my job? Or what's happening in my relationships? Or what's happening over here? You don't have to be uh, so erratic in life anymore because of this, because you're no longer named by the things that are going on in your life. But God is the one who names you. And he's the one, he's the source, and he brings the content of your life. And so you get to be the same person in your relationships that you are in your work, that you are in your church, that you are in every area of your life because of this. Because Jesus source was God the Father who named him and it brought about the content of his life which means that he's creating a people for himself he's gathering his people to himself and he has saved them from their sins by going to the cross for you if you look at Christmas and you miss the cross you missed everything if you look at Christmas and you miss the cross you missed everything Tim Keller says this, God's child becomes man so that man could become God's child. God's child becomes man so that man could become God's child. This is really good news that we find at Christmas. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning, I want to ask for our folks here that you would enable them to look to you as their source. Lord, there's some here who have never looked to you as their source. The source of their Christianity has been found in what they do. The source of, of their life has been found in even the moral things that they've done. They think that somehow this defines them when really they've just been avoiding the truth, which is you're the only one who can rightly define us. And so, God, I pray that they would put away their good works because their good works are keeping them from knowing you. And I pray that they would look to you as the only one who has done good works and is able to save us from our sins. So this morning we pray for that, and I pray that we would truly see the manger in light of the cross. I pray that we would truly see uh, the fact that you were laid in a manger so that ultimately you could be put on a cross and ultimately after that be raised from the dead, the most meaningful event that's ever happened in the world that we celebrate 
as the world. Our calendar is divided on it because it was the most significant event in all of time. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for this. We thank you that we're able to know you. We thank you that you are with us even to the end of the age. We thank you so much for Christmas time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer or anything this morning, uh, for anything, uh, I'd love to pray with you. I'm just going to be um, standing right up here just worshiping uh, together with you. We're going to partake of communion. This is a great time to do this because we're celebrating what Jesus came to do. And so communion is available at, at the front at these tables with candles and just in the back area right here on either side. I just want to invite you to just stand up right away and just partake um, of the cracker or the bread which represents the body of Jesus Christ and the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's in that that we truly are able to see this was the meaning behind all of this. It's a great event that he came. It's fantastic, but what makes it meaningful, different than any other baby, is that he went to the cross. That's what we celebrate through this. Confess your sins and then partake of the body and the blood, and then let's worship together. Uh, let's do that now.